Good day. No matter where you are in this crazy world, welcome to the center of the field with me, Richard Keith Lapman. Now, today let's talk about one of the most divisive debates happening in America, and that's got to be abortion. I mean, is it murder or is it simply a medical procedure? And who do we believe has the greater claim to civil rights? Is it women or the fetuses that they carry? And it, I'll tell you, it never feels more like the nation is composed of two diametrically, radically different cultures than when we talk about embryos. Are they meaningless clusters of cells or innocent unborn children that deserve life? And the, you know, the only thing that could make this even harder is if every mother was a Red Sox fan and every doctor was a Yankee fan. I mean, abortion, no doubt, is both a moral and a legal quandary. But for a significant chunk of the country, it's religion that provides certain answers. And if asking what would Jesus want me to do is how we lived across all spectrums of our society, okay, but we don't do that. And we make a law based on the precedent of a, of a document called the Constitution. So when we look back at the Constitution, and I think we probably look back too much at a document that was created over 300 years ago by guys who had a completely different world. But when we look back, it doesn't really give us much guidance. You know, it's not surprisingly, if you know how politics works, and you probably know more than King Trump knows, the loudest voices in this debate don't represent the majority. Like 60% or something of Americans believe that abortion should be legal in all or most cases. And while around 40% think that it should be illegal in all or most cases. And whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, and even those words are hard because you can be pro-life and be pro-choice, which makes it really hard. Like, the right to choose doesn't preclude me from being pro-life. And the right and, and loving life doesn't preclude me from having an abortion when it's the case of the mother's health or when it's the case of rape or incest. So... Everybody's got exceptions to these rules. And you could go through the whole percentages, but on both sides, the perceptions appear to just be words that allow people to adjust to being accepting of the view that you are calling yourself pro-life or pro-choice. I mean, they're just giving you some exceptions so that you don't think that they're as extreme as they probably are. I mean... I don't know of anybody on either side that supports a third trimester abortion. And, and for those of you that aren't baby literate, that's when the fetus starts to have a shot at surviving outside the womb. It's also when some guys decide to leave town. But the fetus would have to be in a high-tech life support bubble. But my point is, despite everything you hear, nobody's taking an absolutist stance on abortion the way they do even when they pick a light beer. And yet, you'll notice that both sides of the debate make it sound like the other side is, is completely controlled by extremists. On the right, if you close your eyes, you see these old white men that look like Roger Ailes after missing a meal and who can't keep their hands off other people's uterus. While on the left, they're nothing but baby-killing witches with hairy nosewarts bigger than Mayor Pete's who would eat stem cells for breakfast. 
politicians are closing ranks on the extreme ends of the spectrum, while most Americans are somewhere in the middle, like Malcolm. You know, Malcolm in the middle. You know, the TV show. Anyway, this year, nine states decided to shake things up by adopting legislation to make it more difficult to get an abortion. Thank you so much for that. Georgia, Kentucky, Ohio, and Mississippi all have signed what they call heartbeat laws. They outlaw abortions after a fetal heartbeat can be detected. It's about six weeks. Now, six weeks, many women don't even realize they're pregnant by six weeks. It's only two weeks late on your period. And when the when the heartbeat bill passed, I, I don't even like calling it that, Mississippi Governor Phil Bryan thanked the legislator for protecting the unborn. And in response, a lot of Americans said, wow, southern states want to make it impossible for women to get abortions. To which Alabama replied, yep, that's it. And banned abortion even in the rare cases like pregnancy that results from rape and incest. I mean, you got to hand it to them. All of the hillbilly jokes, all of the late night humor, they capped it off by making an abortion a felony offense that carries a 99-year jail sentence, which is 90 years longer than O.J. Simpson got when he killed two people. Now, how did we get here? Let's just go back in time a little bit. And it's a long time before Roe v. Wade. It's based on how much attention we're getting abortion today. It might surprise you to know that we haven't always had abortion laws. It wasn't until the 19th century, or as Joe Biden called it, his teenage years, that the American Medical Association started calling for the illegalization of abortion. It was just assumed it was legal. Arguing at that time, the AMA said, if a human life hung in the balance, no one should interfere. Although historians think they're probably just tired of competing. You know, the midwives and things. And they, they wanted to shorten the list of the things that non-doctors, quote, quote, could do. And so before the AMA came along, medical professionals could freely perform abortions in what, up until what was called the quickening, which probably was the third trimester. You know, the point where a fetus is big and developed enough to move around and make itself known to the outside world. Now, unfortunately, they made abortion happen with poisonous herbs. <laughs> and it was actually easy to kill the woman along with her unborn child. I'm not even going to do the bed with the baby with the bathwater joke there because I just don't think it's funny. But that's what it was. I mean, they they do the abortion, and if the mom died, the mom died. And it wasn't until the 70s that the modern debate got its start. In 69, a 21-year-old Norma McCorvey, and what's the regal term? Oh, she got knocked up. And she decided to file a lawsuit to make Texas allow her to get an abortion. Now, there's a few steps in between, like calling 1-800-WHY-DID-MY-CONDOM-BREAK. But I'm just giving you the gist here. A district court agreed with McCorvey and the district and a Texas law preventing her from getting an abortion was unconstitutional, according to them. So the Supreme Court heard the case where McCorvey was named as a plaintiff under the pseudonym Jane Roe. Now, I don't know why. Jane Doe must have been taken, because don't we always call him Jane Doe? Anyway, this, of course, was the landmark Roe v. Wade case. And in 73, the Supreme Court ironically delivered (laughs) uh, a decision that established fetuses do not have rights under the Constitution. And official personhood only comes into effect after birth. Yeah. So you got to be alive 
uh, before you're a person. That's what the Supreme Court said in 73. The Supreme Court's ruling also emphasized that privacy surrounds pregnancy. And, uh, okay, I never thought it didn't. But these conclusions did not go unchallenged. And a legal scholar and one-time Supreme Court nominee with a funny name, Judge Robert Bork, and it sounds like something you yell when you stub your toe, uh, Robert Bork wrote a book called The Tempting of America. And in that, he said Roe was the greatest example of, of judicious whatever that this century's ever seen. It should be overturned. And he used a lot of fancy words. I don't want to repeat it. But, and he said the court's integrity requires that we overturn this. And none of this gavel banging did McCorvey any good. Because by 73, she had already given birth to her baby and her baby had been adopted. And, and I, I hope it was an anonymous adoption. Could you imagine? The, if, if the media could find the baby that spawned the Roe v. Wade case, it'd be on the front page of every trash media newspaper in this country. And when he was nominated to the Supreme Court, which amazingly he was, Ju- Justice Bork, he wasn't justice, he never got there, Judge Bork said that despite his previous writings on topics, he'd respect the precedent set by Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Not all members of our current Supreme Court believe that. Because, you know, Clarence Thomas said just a few months ago, the Supreme Court's job is to uphold the Constitution above all else. And if that means erasing precedent decisions, then so be it. But wait a second. So we're going we're gonna to take a long, an old document. It's a beautiful document. Don't get me wrong. It's written absolutely beautiful. And I like the big signatures and all the stuff. But we're going to take an old document that was written in a different time by a group of people that had no concept of what our world would look like today. And we're going to use that to guide the principles of our modern day problems. So, yeah, Roe v. Wade is in definite danger if it gets to the Supreme Court. And here's the funny part. 69 or 70% of Americans don't want Roe v. Wade overturned. But you've got people like Thomas on the Supreme Court that don't care. And and with our 5-4 majority now, our conservatives that are in the Supreme Court, you know, you've got Justice Kavanaugh made it 5-4. The time is now for people who want Roe v. Wade to get killed once and for all. So they're doing a lot of moves. Now, there's nothing new. Since 73, pro-life advocates have been trying to get around the Supreme Court, like like a White House press secretary tries to get around the truth. And they found new and creative ways to make it harder for women to get abortions. One of the first major attacks came from a guy by the name of Henry Hyde, who unsurprisingly was a Republican Catholic and surprisingly had the same initials as Hugh Hefner. But following Roe v. White, Wade, Medicaid covered abortions. But in 76, three years later, the Hyde Amendment prevented federal funding for abortions, except in very special cases, effectively making it impossible for poor women across this country to get abortions. Now, Hyde underlined this point, and he said, I'd like to make it illegal for everybody. I like I don't care if it's a rich woman, a middle-class woman, or a poor woman. It kind of sounds like the progression of Lori Laughlin in the last four, four months. But unfortunately, the only vehicle available is the Medicaid bill, he said. So sorry, low-income folks. I guess you don't have enough money to have the same rights as other women. 
It sounds like Hyde was kind of channeling his inner Dr. Jekyll. You get Dr. Jekyll Hyde. Anyway, Justice Thurgood Marshall agreed with the sentiment, and he said of the Hyde Amendment that it is designed to deprive poor and minority women of their constitutional right to choose abortion. In response, guess what we did? Everybody on both sides founded super PACs and, and started raising money to both prevent and provide abortions for women that couldn't afford it or could. And now there are 76 independent funds. You getting dizzy? They think of a loophole. The other side thinks of a workaround. And back and forth, and it goes on and on. It's like listening to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez discuss capitalism. AOC, another ordinary communist. Now, other states have thought about even more creative ways to put up blocks between women and abortion access. They've, they started to like say you can only get abortions in certain kind of places, certain kinds of hospitals. So in Mississippi, you have to go to a place that meets the same standard as an ambulatory surgical center, an ER, an emergency room, a hospital to get an abortion. Do you know what that does to the cost of an abortion? And technically, the issue of what kind of restrictions has already been settled. This is settled law. There was a case called women's, uh, Whole Women's Health that immediately removed these restrictions as unconstitutional. And yet, they still exist. And all throughout the South, there are two words in that decision that make it available. Justin, Justice Stephen Breyer wrote the words, undue burden, medical benefits sufficient to justify the burdens upon access. And he used the words, constitutes an undue burden. Now, what is an undue burden? I think it's a great title for a Kevin Costner drama, but it's a vague term. So vague that pro-life states still manage to work around it. And advocates of these types of standards for abortion clinics really claim to be primarily concerned for the health, you know, of women getting abortions. But all they're doing is putting up roadblocks. They're putting up burning tires in the road so you can't get to the clinic, which is legally open and constitutionally supported. So if you can't get there, but we're allowing it to happen, are we breaking any laws? Mm, yeah. So it's funny because Governor Cuomo of New York, or as CNN calls him, Chris's older brother, recently signed an act called the Reproductive Health Act, which you have to listen to this. It allows medical professionals who are not doctors to conduct abortions. Uh, so by that definition, some would argue your school nurse could do the procedure. New York City also allocated a quarter of a million dollars, 250 grand, for women from out of state who travel to New York specifically to get abortions. So now we have abortion tourism going on in New York. Illinois, Maine, and Vermont just joined in on the fund and passed legislation that affirms abortion as a right. Now let's just take this into perspective. Gender pay equality is not a right. Food for dinner is not a right. A house, a roof over your head is not a right. But abortion is now a right on the far left. 
So you got middle fingers flying. And you got Georgia, who since 2008 has tried to become Hollywood of the South. You know, they've done all kinds of tax benefits for, for movie studios to film there. Has passed one of the most restrictive laws of all. And now you got Disney saying, well, you know what, guys, if you want to do that, we're not going to film there. Wow. It's a mess. In the Senate, Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton. It's a convenient name for somebody from the South. Tom Cotton. Cotton. You get it? The, the growth in the South. Anyway, he criticized companies that, in his words, wield their economic power as a weapon to punish the American people for daring to challenge their pro-abortion extremism. So pro-choice, which we've already discussed, can mean that you want to be pro-life. Pro-choice doesn't mean you want an abortion or you even like abortions. Pro-choice means you believe in a woman's right to make that decision. It doesn't mean that you're pro-abortion. In the center of the field, we're pro-choice, but we're not pro-abortion. It's a very different word. In the, center, in the same speech, Senator Cotton took a pro-life stance that's amazing. He said, the pro-life movement seeks to change the laws of our country in the noblest traditions of our country, working within the democratic system so the laws ultimately live up to the highest principle, that all men are created equal. And in the words of our now 243-year-old declaration, that have a basic right to life. First of all, over 60% of Americans don't think Roe v. Wade should be overturned. So if we're working within the democratic system, there's a flaw. Secondly, Pro-life and pro-choice are not pro-abortion. Let's just get this through everybody's head. But it's common to hear these lawmakers, you know, make these grandiose speakers. And it doesn't stem from the Constitution. It really doesn't. This whole thing stems from the Bible. The governor of Alabama said of the abortion ban, and she's a woman, This legislation stands as a powerful testament to Alabamans and their deeply held belief that every life is precious and every life is a sacred gift from God. Okay. So we got this great declaration and we got the Constitution and we got all of these wonderful documents that our founding fathers gave us that separate church and state. But somehow the word God ends up on our money. And now God is deciding whether a woman can alter her own body and when life starts. Man is now deciding when life starts, not God. In Missouri, there's no exception. Rape, incest, no exception. How can... I mean... I, I don't understand. I, I just, I read that and I, I think into my head, I mean, the separation of church and state is not even being mentioned. Abortion is not in the Constitution. 
And it's not. And it's taken from a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote. And it's, it's, that's all it's from. It's not in any of the old docs. So it's not a law. And the Constitution simply says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So there's a, there's a no religious test clause that states no federal employee can be required to have religious beliefs. You can't force somebody that works for the government to be a certain religion. But there are no clear-cut laws on how federal employees or private citizens can apply their faith or their votes or state governments. And King Trump's administration introduced a denial-of-care rule, which allows health care providers to refuse medical services based on moral religious beliefs. Are you kidding? The Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights Director, Robert Servinio, said of the rule... Finally, laws prohibiting government-funded discrimination against conscious and religious freedom will be enforced like every other civil rights law. But of course, civil rights groups are arguing against this new rule in federal court as part of an ongoing fight about who has the most civil rights. We've talked about that before. It's hard to argue with faith. You, You can't win that argument. But the fact remains that the religious view of life, beginning at conception, doesn't seem to be the driving factor behind what most Americans believe. Most Americans still believe that the timing of an abortion is the most important factor. Around 60% believe that a woman should be able to get an abortion during the first trimester. 28% feel the same way in the second, and only about 13% see it in the third. The disparity is really the fact that most Americans don't want completely unfettered abortions. They don't. Most of us want a woman to be able to choose, want her to make a decision, but she's got a deadline. And today, 43 states prohibit abortions after a cutoff date. And it's usually right around 20 weeks or the second trimester. And abortions after this point are often called late-term and prohibited, except in New York. Now, different states have different levels of squeamishness, of course. Utah passed a law in 2016 that requires abortion providers to provide anesthesia to fetuses that are 20 weeks or more. Now, whether fetuses can experience pain, we don't know. And the American College of Gynecology has stated that a fetus does not have the ability to sense pain until 24 weeks at the very earliest. But in Utah, it's earlier than that. Because they know. And for... Those of us mostly concerned about the timing, the CDC has good news. In the U.S., only a tiny percentage of abortions, like a little over 1%, happen in the third trimester, while 91% happen in the first trimester. As a matter of fact, of the 91%, three-quarters of those happen before 10 weeks. So we're arguing about a couple weeks but we're still arguing. And as technology gets better, when a fetal heartbeat can be detected, is going to change. I don't know, I'm not a doctor, but I don't know when it actually starts to beat, but there will be a time 
that the first beat, whenever that is, will be detectable. Late-term abortions are the reason pro-lifers exist, because they can take these pictures and these grotesque images and throw them out there and say that's what an abortion looks like. When we just established that 91% of abortions exist when the embryo is less than the size of a dime. Is it cells? Is it life? I don't think I know. And I don't think I'm qualified to make the decision for every woman in America. It's a very personal, religious decision that each individual must make, hopefully with their family and hopefully with their man. But it's still got to happen. Anyway, all of this is great. But now we got King Trump. And, you know, King Trump likes to run around and say whatever he can possibly say to control the news cycle on any given day. So in a rally in Green Bay, Trump described a scene where the baby is born, the mother meets with the doctor, and they take care of the baby. And then in a surprising turn of events, the doctor and the mother determine whether or not they will execute the baby. And after all the bad press, thank you, CNN, it's no surprise that the Virginia bill was defeated because they were going to let people do it whenever. But King Trump came to town and changed that opinion. I, I can't believe that King Trump actually did something good. But Trump may have left out key details in his description, but Virginia lawmakers, lawmakers were embarrassed nonetheless, and they had to change the rule. Now, his rhetoric, uh, which I call extreme and Fox News calls news, has naturally managed to stir up quite a bit of panic among the pro-choice crowd because he's become more and more quote, quote, pro-life since his inauguration. The women on the left took to social media, urged their friends to get IUDs quickly before Trump took office, if you remember. And they made posts about how Republicans were coming for their birth control. And their warnings worked. I mean, unbelievable. Gynecologists like said that IUD insertions in 2016 were the largest they'd ever seen. And based on the level of urgency, it seemed as though Trump was coming after all birth control everywhere, except, of course, when he was with Stormy Daniels. Uh, but the truth is that is always less exciting than the reality. Trump is attempting to add rules to the Affordable Care Act that would make it so that employers with objections of conscience did not have to cover their employer employees, quote, preventative services, which includes drugs to induce abortions and birth control. So you can't get birth control. And then if something happens, you can't get an abortion. And it's based on the idea that employers shouldn't have to violate their own moral or religious principles. Um, the director of Health and Human Services told the Washington Post, no American should be forced to violate his or her own conscience in order to abide by the laws and regulations governing our healthcare system. But no matter what Trump actually does, it won't stop the left from seeing him as the leader in a calculated assault on women's rights. 
And the left-wing media, which is a left-wing media, don't kid yourself, loves to talk about it. And the other old white men who want to control women's bodies in an effort to consolidate power. Even though statistics show that women barely differ from men on their views of abortion. So it's not a white male restriction that's being put on. They're only, men are only slightly more likely to support restrictions on abortion than women, especially in the South. And of course, some believe that if men could get pregnant, abortions would be easier to get the tickets to an Orioles game or maybe to watch Selena Gomez cry again. A super liberal online magazine called The Root ran a piece by Congresswoman Barbara Lee entitled The War on Women, which opens with the phrase, for too long. Why am I saying that like a man? I don't know. Why do women do that? When women talk like men, they always make their voice really deep. So I just did that, and it was a woman that wrote that, and I'm sorry for that. But she said, for too long, women's voices have been dismissed when it comes to our reproductive freedom, and we must fight back. Ultimately, this dismisses the women's voices who are ardently opposed to abortion. I mean, you can't have your cake and eat it too here. You can't say that we're got an attack on women by women. Well, I guess you can, but it doesn't really hold water. So what we used to hear a lot more even-handed take from politicians in the, in, in the old days, which was like 2015, who seemed to at least want to appear as though they, they were in the center of their field with me. I mean, for instance, Obama once said, anybody who tries to deny the moral differences and the gravity of the abortion issue, I think is not paying attention. Okay. And in a similar vein, Joe Biden, our, our buddy, told Texas Monthly in 2006, because he's been around a long time, that he does not view abortion as a choice and a right, but thinks of it always as a tragedy. It's kind of in the middle there. Still, he says he upholds Roe v. Wade and said in a 2008 interview that while he doesn't support abortion personally as a Catholic, here we go. He would never impose that belief on others. Is Joe Biden flip-flopping more than Kamala Harris is doing right now on health care? Or, or do his views on abortion accurately represent how a lot of Americans feel? It's how I feel. I don't believe that my view, whatever it is, is applicable to you. And I, I hope that you don't want to enforce your views on me because I like Bud Light. And if you're a Miller Lite person, don't try to make me drink your beer. Anyway, abortion is not going to go away. And before her death in 2017, McCorvey, who was actually Ms. Roe, who should have been Ms. Doe in Roe v. Wade, ended up on the opposite side of the debate than where she started on. She converted to Roman Catholicism and stated that if she could have her way, she'd take it all back. If she was somehow able to rewind the clock, you know, have Superman fly backwards around the earth, she would like abortions to be illegal. That's the woman who sponsored the bill 
that made it legal for millions and millions of Americans to have a decision about their reproductive health. So if we put, if we put Ms. Roe, McCorley, Doe, whatever her name is, and the Supreme Court aside for a second, even though we have more conservatism power right this second, this push to get rid of Roe v. Wade could backfire, and in a major way. Since states started advocating for stricter abortion law, nationwide support for abortion rights has rocketed up nearly 10%. And the thought of a woman not being able to get an abortion, even after they've been raped by their uncle, for God's sakes, is going to push the needle in the opposite direction and cause laws like the one that was just signed in New York so they can have abortion tourism where they'll even pay the bill to exist. Pro-choice groups organize stop the bans protests and raising money. You know, they're, they're talking about Trump's anti-abortion extremism. And let me just tell you, before he was president, Trump wasn't anti-abortion. Very few people remember that he gave more money to the Clintons than he spent in his own election campaign. Remember when he said he was going to fund his own campaign? He spent less in the 2016 campaign than he gave to the Clintons to support their elections. According to organizers, there were 400 events across 50 states, all people who may not have really agreed with abortion, but agreed with the idea that you can't restrict it to the point where I can't have it in case of rape and incest. And at its core, this cultural conflict comes down to two American ideals. Just two. The ideal that all men and women are created equal and that people should be able to exercise religious freedom. For some, their religious beliefs mean that equality comes second and women should always ultimately be subject to their baby makers. Since life is sacred and every baby is a gift from God, even the one that screamed from take off the landing on your last flight, but every baby's a gift from God, you have to keep it. So religion versus created equal. We're, for, we're at, at our base, at our core, we're a democracy. And the laws of this country, at least in the center of the field, should reject the way we actually feel. We, the majority. And I don't mean 50 plus one. Federal law should, should codify, outside of Roe v. Wade, that women have a fundamental right to abortion access, especially during the first trimester. And in cases of rape and incest, or where, or where your, your wife is going to die if she goes through with the birth, What's the most important thing here? Since when did the life of an unborn fetus become more valuable than the life of your wife? States legitimately shouldn't be allowed to poke holes in what is now a civil right of their citizen by creating undue burdens. Now, but those burdens also shouldn't restrict people of faith right? We can have it both ways. And the way I see it 
it will always be harder to get an abortion in some states than others. And maybe that's the way it should be because we live in communities and our communities have different morals and values and different components of religion. But where there is no compromise, nobody's happy. And there's no way to compromise on these issues. There's no way to tell somebody that believes that abortion is wrong, morally and religiously, that they're wrong. They're not wrong. They're right for them. They're just not right for all of us. Anyway, I've used a lot of your time. And I'd like to end this extremely serious topic on a light note. So I wrote a joke about abortion. But I decided not to keep it. I'm Richard Keith Lapman. Thanks for listening. And let's do this again.